going to be starting today the Gospel of Luke. But we're going to pray first. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for your blessing on our time together as we study your word. We know the word is powerful by your spirit, that it's inspired, God-breathed by you, that it has everything we could ever need or want in terms of truth for our lives. Lord, help us to love it and to trust it. Proclaim it through imperfect instruments, Father, and bypass our weaknesses as we discuss it. But Lord, apply it to our hearts by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we're going to begin a new study. We are going to look at my favorite gospel among the four glorious gospel accounts we have in the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Luke. And I have felt very strongly that we need to get back into the greatest story ever told. And... um, the life of our Lord, but I had a hard time deciding which gospel, and Matthew is really uh, leaning pretty heavy on me too. It's the most well-known and the best organized and contains the fullest account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a good reason to go back to that. So I was really leaning to that, and even this week I was, but Luke has been calling me all the time. So, um, Besides, I did Matthew like nine years ago or something, so <clears throat> now Luke's been away from us much longer. But Luke calls me because in some ways it's, it's the gospel of mission. Um, Matthew was written for the Jews primarily. Luke is written for everybody. Matthew's gospel, the, the purpose of it is a proclamation to Israel that the Messiah has come and it's Jesus Christ. Luke's gospel doesn't disagree with Matthew, but the emphasis is different. He presents Christ as the Savior of all men. And in a lot of books comparing the four gospels, Luke is often said to present Christ as a man. You often see like these little charts and we'll have the four Gospels and different emphasis in it. You know, Matthew presents Christ as king and Mark as the servant and John presents him as God and Luke presents him as man is the way it's often said. I've never thought that was Luke's main purpose. To, to me, Luke presents Christ as the universal savior and uh, the savior of all men. And I don't mean all individual men, every, but I mean he, he comes as the savior for all men. All men can receive him if they believe in him. Luke's work has always fascinated me. His gospel has many unique features the other gospels don't have. Over 50% of Luke is totally unique to his gospel, has no parallel in the other gospels. And um, some 527 verses, I think, are, are uniquely his. And he's a detailed man. He's very succinct but compassionate, highly educated. Luke, Luke must have been quite a guy. We don't know that much about him, but I'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute, but... Um, the Gospel of Luke is, is the first part of this two-volume set, you know, Luke-Acts, and that's about a fourth of the entire New Testament that Luke wrote, more than any other single author. So it's all quite wonderful, and um, of course you'd like to know so much more, but they have to fit these books on a scroll, and a scroll's only so long, you know. So he's got two scrolls, Luke and Acts. And uh, before we look at some introductory material this morning, I just want to talk about uh, how I'm going to present this and the method I want to use when you preach the Gospels, there's different ways to do it. Um, you've probably noticed, if you looked at the New Testament, the, the first three Gospels are pretty similar to each other. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because they look alike, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they, they do parallel each other in a lot of ways. Um, and sometimes when you preach the Gospels, you, you can just go back and forth all the time and uh, mix them together. In fact, there's some wonderful books. Um, you can get a Harmony of the Gospels, which have... All the gospel accounts just in columns right next to each other. You can see how they relate. There's also a book called The Life of Christ in Stereo where somebody's actually meshed them all together into one long story, which is a pretty interesting way to do it. Um, It's it's a fun read. It's interesting. Um, And some people teach by just kind of constantly going back and forth in order to give you the most complete picture 
possible of each event using all the Gospels. What does Matthew say about it? What does Mark say about it? How do you describe this or that? I'm going to try to focus more on just Luke. I mean, he wrote it his own way for a reason. I, I don't want to lose perspective, um, his perspective, by including the other Gospels too much. Now, if we get into something that's a little difficult or controversial or whatever, and it helps to bring in the other Gospels, I certainly will do that, so don't be surprised if you see me do that. But I'm going to try to really focus on the immediate context. That's what I like to do when I teach anyway. So um, generally, let's just stay with Luke and try to catch what he's presenting uh, from Christ's life. So let's talk about Luke a little bit. Um, who was Luke? Well, his name uh, appears only three times in the New Testament. He's known to the early church fathers as the author of these books. He's often discussed. He appears in the book of Acts, but not by name. He uh, only appears when he speaks of us. So that's kind of significant. I'll talk more about that in a minute, too. Luke was probably a Gentile writer, probably the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. We don't know for certain, but he comes from a Gentile city. He writes a very high-style Greek, like a native. His concern is to reach Gentiles for Christ. And you get a little maybe indication in Colossians chapter 4. You might want to look at that real quick about um, Luke's background. Philippians, Colossians. There, I found it. Have you found it yet? (laughs) If you look at verses um, 10 through 11, Paul is doing his usual kind of greeting thing. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and Barnabas, cousin Mark, about whom he received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Also, Jesus, who is called Justice. You know, if you're a Christian, your name is Jesus. You kind of pick a different name. Um, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. So what did he just say? These are my Jewish helpers, right? These are my Jewish co-workers. And then after that, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a Gentile, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke the beloved physician sends you his greetings and also Demas. So he kind of puts all the Jews together and says those are the men of the circumcision and then he mentions a few other people and Luke is among the other people. So, so it's a logical, not too big of a stretch to think that Luke is a Gentile and he's, he's not a Jew, which would make him very unique as one of the authors of the New Testament. So I think it's pretty clear from uh, uh, that Luke was a Gentile. It's also clear from verse 14 of Colossians chapter 4 that Luke was a doctor. Not just a doctor, but the beloved physician, he calls him. So all of the compassion that pours out of his gospel seems to be have been true of his life as well. He was known as the beloved physician. There's pretty good evidence that he was born in Antioch in Syria. Um, the book of Acts prominently features Antioch, and since he wrote the book of Acts, it would make sense. Chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 18, all have sections talking about the Antiochian church. Um, several church fathers write that Luke was a citizen of Antioch, Jerome and Eusebius say that. In Acts, we're given a very detailed description. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 11, just by way of introduction here, you can see a little bit about the Antiochian church. And it really has the, the ring of an eyewitness account here. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 11 So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word of God to no one except to the Jews alone. 
And there were some of them, men of Crispus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them in a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So he gives this kind of broad geographical description, but then he focuses on probably his hometown, which was Antioch. And uh, in fact, you know, the word Christian was first applied to followers of Christ in Antioch, which he says in verse 26 of chapter 11. Gives a little more detail there. So um, that sounds uh, reasonable that the early church fathers are right about that. That's his home. Paul's first missionary journey ends at Antioch. After he goes to the Jerusalem Council, he comes to Antioch in Acts chapter 15. And in chapter 16, Paul sets off on a new missionary journey and suddenly the book of Acts goes from he did this and they did that to we did this and this is about us, which is another little clue that Luke kind of joined the team from Antioch at that point. So likely uh, Luke joined the apostolic missions team at Antioch, his home base. And after the apostles visit the Philippi, it goes right back to they and uh, he. So Luke was probably left in charge of the new church in Philippi. So they plant that church, leave a guy in charge here to make it healthy as the team moves on, and they keep kind of leapfrogging each other like that. And that's another testimony to Luke um, there serving with Paul in the mission field. Uh, Chapter 20 of Acts, verse 6, when uh, Luke leaves Philippi to meet Paul in Troas. In chapter 21, Luke travels with Paul to Jerusalem and meets the apostles. And James is actually mentioned in verse 18, so that's a we section. So Luke got to meet the apostles. He interacted with them. So Luke didn't just know Paul. He knew Peter and James and the people that were eyewitnesses of the ministry of Christ, of course. And he had plenty of time and opportunities uh, in Jerusalem to interview the people that uh, uniquely inform parts of Luke's gospel. Luke mentions people that none of the other gospels mention, eyewitnesses, and um, we'll be talking more about that too in the weeks ahead. So apparently Luke uh, stays nearby Paul all through his imprisonment. He was loyal and faithful and no doubt provided great comfort to Paul. In fact, if you look at Paul's last letter, Second Timothy, at the very end of that epistle, he is mentioned yet again. Second Timothy 4, verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon, writing to Timothy, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you. So there's Luke and Mark, two authors of the Gospels mentioned together right there. So Luke uh, was a loyal, faithful um, servant of Paul in the mission and the Lord Jesus Christ. So physician, missionary, preacher, traveler, author, successful church planter and pastor and known as the beloved. That's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good way to be remembered in the scripture. Before we move on, let me just show you some interesting uh, features about Luke's gospel as well. His medical mind sort of shows up in the text in some interesting ways, uh, mainly in the details. You know, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell that story. But Matthew and Mark say she had a fever and Luke said she had a high fever. See, like he, he asked questions like, well, how hot was she? I mean, what did she feel like? When you, you know, and uh, she had a high fever, you know, because she's doc, doctor oriented. Uh, the cleansed lepers, Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, you know, when the lepers come back. Uh, Matthew and Mark just say a leper and Luke says it was a man full of leprosy. I mean, uh, he gives a more detailed description there. And there's lots of things like that. One of the most fun ones probably is Mark chapter 5. 
verse 25. It says, the woman that had a hemorrhage. Uh, Mark says, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Luke says it this way. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone. You know, he's like sort of standing up for the profession there. I, <laughs> she wasted all her money on these doctors. And when Luke writes it, he says, look, she was incurable. That's it. You know. <laughs> so you get a little, little bit of a detail there probably. Um, the man with the withered hand, Luke says it was the right hand. When the soldier had his ear cut off, Luke says it was the right ear. I mean, he's always making detailed notes where the other Gospels don't bother doing that. So the professional doctor has his emphasis. You could just hear the story, you know, Peter's telling about cutting off the guy's ear. And which ear? was right here. Oh, good. Um, so we know Luke as a, as a close companion of Paul, and it's very interesting also how Paul's theology uh, finds its place in Luke's perspective. Luke's emphasis um, uh, on material and issues is very close to Paul's heart in um, the things he looks at, the details that he chooses out of the life of Christ. Some examples are, are prayer, which Paul is constantly praying and talking about prayer, and it's very big uh, emphasis in Luke, more so than in the other Gospels. Um, Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit descends. Only Luke mentions that Jesus was actually praying when that happened, and uh, things like that, those kind of details about prayer. Jesus as Lord, very constant in Paul, um, emphasized more in Luke than in the other Gospels. It's just in terms of emphasis, not that there's any contradictions or anything. Only Luke has the phrase when Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do what I say. Uh, The Holy Spirit dominates Luke and Paul's thinking very much. Um, Joy, uh, unusually frequent in Luke's gospel, a major part of Paul's personality and Paul's writing. They must have been a rejoicing team out there on the mission field together. Uh, That's a big theme. The Lord's Supper. You know, all three gospels record the Lord's Supper, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, well, John too, actually, but um, they have their wording is just a little bit different. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is quoting that event, the wording is Luke's wording. So again, it shows you their connect, connection between Luke and Paul. Um, so Luke and Paul were close. Different men, very different personalities, I think. But surely step-in-step uh, in step and beliefs and goals and mutual support. So let's talk a little bit about um, themes. Uh, there's a number of sub-themes uniquely emphasized in Luke's gospel. We talked about joy. It just abounds with joy. I mean, there's songs... It ends with a joy and praise. In the, midst, in the middle, God, God rejoices over the saved sinner, you know, the lost one who is found, and the rejoicing of God and the angels in heaven and all of that. Uh, we mentioned prayer. Another one would be the glory of God, how events result in people glorifying God. That's a big theme. And, and what is the overarching theme, his primary purpose? Well, I mentioned it earlier, and I think this is correct. If, if you ask me what verse in Luke lays out the great theme in a single sentence, it would be this, uh, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's really the arc theme of the whole gospel. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So it's Christ the universal Savior. Over and over, Luke demonstrates how Jesus reaches out to the lost, to the foreigner, to the outcast, to the hurting, and to the sinner. I mean, that's... Those kind of tales just fill his account. William Hendrickson, in his big commentary on Luke, he said this. He said, Luke's book abounds in stories, parables, and sayings in which our Lord's loving kindness toward the less privileged, the weak, and the rejected comes to expression. 
His love in action is revealed to the poor and the social outcasts, to children, shepherds, and tax collectors, to the sick, the handicapped, the lepers, to Samaritans and Gentiles. The beloved physician's book has been called the gospel of womanhood, for the Savior's tender and profound regard for women comes to the fore in this gospel more clearly than in any other. Note, for example, the prominence accorded to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and to Elizabeth. Remember also that Anna, the prophetess, and Joanna, the loyal follower, are mentioned only in this gospel. The beautiful story in which Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, makes the right choice is told only here. And this holds, too, for the stirring reports about Christ's kindness bestowed upon the widow of Nan and upon the sinful woman who anointed the Lord. All that's uniquely in Luke's gospel, not recorded in the other gospels. Jesus' compassion and regard for non-Jews finds its fullest expression in Luke's gospel. The Good Samaritan story is only told in this gospel. The, the only person commended for having great faith in Luke is a Gentile in Luke chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus plainly asserts the kingdom's inclusion of all of the, from all the directions outside of Israel in Luke's gospel in chapter 13. And the cleansed Samaritan leper returns to thank Jesus and the nine Jewish lepers don't bother thanking him. Luke tells that story. Only Luke tells of those who reject the invitation to the great banquet and the um, others are invited to take their place from outside the, you know, this group, the Jews. Uh, only Luke tells how as an infant, when presented at the temple, the prophetic words of Simeon's song calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So Luke has a big emphasis on the poor, the weak, the downcast, on women, on um, the Gentiles. So while all the Gospels present Christ in his fullness as a prophet, priest, and king, there is a difference of emphasis. And while Matthew certainly intends to present Jesus as the king, Luke undoubtedly intends to present Christ as the sympathetic high priest, if you're talking about the offices of Christ, who, for all who embrace him as Lord and Savior, he is the support and encourager and uh, tender-hearted one. So Jesus, the Savior of all kinds, all classes, all races, all types, his love extends to all people. Samaritans, sinners, traitors, prostitutes, Gentiles, the lame, the leper, the outcast, all have a place here. Ray uh, Summers, in his little commentary on Luke, he says, To such a society, Jesus came with an offer of the compassionate love of God for all men. And at the same time, a demand for undivided loyalty to God on the part of those who commit themselves to him. This is the good news according to Luke. And I like that. It really boils it down to the compassion of God for sinners and discipleship, which are two sides of the exact same coin. I mean, the gospel includes both. Jesus reaches out to all, but if you come to him, God has a very high standard. He expects you to follow and, and uh, to commit yourself to discipleship. So let's just conclude uh, with just looking at the introductory words of Luke. We'll look at more detail next week. But um, Luke chapter 1, this is his intended audience. And it's almost as mysterious as uh, it could be. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, a lot of people wanted to remember Jesus and wrote down what happened. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning. It's called research to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the exact truth about the things which you have been taught. So his intended audience is Theophilus. Well, who is Theophilus? Well, we really don't know. 
And there's a lot of speculation. Is he sort of a representative person or is he a real person or, or what? Because Theophilus is a, is, means um, somebody that loves God. And uh, so is he writing to people that love God or is Theophilus the name of a man that loves God? He calls him most excellent and that implies a, a real person. Now, that's what I'm thinking. Um, he's probably a real person, probably a person of some importance with that kind of title uh, given to him, most excellent Theophilus, maybe, maybe a Roman government official, some people have speculated. He may have been a friend of Luke, he may have been a new convert, he may have been a seeker, genuinely seeking to sort out all the things he'd heard about Christianity. Some have suggested he was a Roman official given the task of learning about Christianity, since in the early 60s, Christianity was in danger of becoming uh, a sect, you know, put on the official Roman bad guy list. And uh, that was possibly um, uh, a purpose in all of that, to communicate exactly what Christianity is all about. We don't really know, and it's really speculative to say, but we can infer that Theophilus requested or needed more exact knowledge about Christ and the church than he had. And some have suggested that Theophilus was a God-fearer, a Gentile who had renounced polytheism, embraced the God of Israel and his moral standards, attended synagogue, but had not become a full convert. And that's why... um, he represents that large class of people who in the book of Acts are the people that when the um, evangelists go out to the synagogues, the, the majority of those who come to believe are these God-fearers, Gentiles who are worshiping the true God, and um, uh, some Jews, but mostly those people, they, they come to Christ in droves, so he could have been one of those. It's very possible. Luke mentions those people often in Acts, so it's also in the, also in the Gospel of Luke he mentions them. So it's possible that he had a lot of experience with them and compassion for them, and Theophilus is one of them. By extension, then, the uh, Gospel of Luke, as it was circulated, was intended for Gentiles just entering new life in Christ or seriously considering Christ, uh, weighing whether they want to commit to that. Remember Luke's emphasis, compassion and discipleship. Compassion and discipleship. So Luke seems to aim at fence-sitters quite a bit. Uh, discipleship is demanded by Jesus, not just head knowledge or just mere interest or um, a kind of a, uh, a head faith, but it, uh, faith in, in Luke's gospel is a commitment, it's dedication, it's a decision to follow. And there's so much here to learn, who Jesus is, why he came, what he taught, what he accomplished, Christian morals, expectations for the future, all of those things are included in Luke's gospel. And here's the story. This is the story for the man that's not steeped in the Old Testament, like Matthew is written for the guy that knows the Old Testament. Luke is written for the guy that doesn't, the one who doesn't have much background. It really is a seeker's gospel. It's the gospel for the man who says, you know, I don't know much about Jesus, but what I've heard I like and I want to know more. It's the gospel for him. So if you aren't sure what to make of Christianity or what it's really all about, if you want to know why people follow Christ and make so much out of him, this is the one for you. This is the one for you. And if you're a Christian and you want to invite a friend to church, but you're never too sure what I'm going to be talking about and you kind of hesitate, say, that could be way over their head or you could be on some weird thing or whatever, um, start inviting them because this gospel will touch them. Um, if, If God can touch them through anything, he'll use this. Um, Jesus and the story of Jesus, as Luke tells it, is always compelling. It's always compelling. So uh, it won't be too difficult or too technical, hardly ever. It's very real. It's very real earth, down-to-earth, down real-life stuff. And um, God became a man and lived in this world, and this is the record of it. And it's written for those who need to know 
and, and aren't sure. It really is written to them. So bring them. And be ready yourself. Christ is our Lord. He's our teacher, our model. We're supposed to follow in his steps, as the scripture says. Let his life challenge you deeply. Let it challenge you. Challenge your heart, your attitudes, your love for God, your goodness, your compassion, your prejudices, your sins. Let it challenge you just by his example. I'm excited by what we're going to find here, and I think you will be too. So we'll start next Sunday. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we just appreciate your word. We appreciate a man like Luke who served you so faithfully for so many years in the mission field and served the Apostle Paul in such a wonderful and personal way. And you put it on his heart, Father, and inspired him to investigate and interview and talk to people and write it down and put it into this wonderful tale, a true story about Jesus Christ, God become man. And we pray that uh, our hearts would be ready for the great truths you have to reveal to us in our Savior's life. In his name we pray, amen.